Well, welcome to our third season of Knowledge Cast. If you're a regular listener, we're glad to have you back. And if you're a first-time listener, we hope that you enjoy today's podcast and we'll come back next week. We have a great list of guests this fall and you can read about them by going to jackwwilliams.com and scroll down to the podcast section. Well, today our guest is Danny Shepard. Uh, Danny is a graduate of Georgia Tech and has had an extremely successful business career working in executive positions in various public companies and on the board of directors of several public companies. Danny started his career with Vulcan Materials right out of college and he worked his way up to general manager of Georgia. He then left Vulcan to be part of a management team that took Global Stone Corporation public and then later returned to Vulcan for 15 years in uh, various leadership roles. Danny served as president of the Southeast Division for Vulcan, senior vice president, executive vice president, chief operating officer, and vice chairman of the board of directors. When Danny retired in 2015 from Vulcan Materials, um, the company was generating $5 billion in revenue. And then Danny was later recruited to serve on the board of directors of two other public companies, GCP Applied Technologies, which was a WR Grace spinoff, and most recently, Beezer, the national home builder. Well, Danny, uh, welcome to our podcast. Well, thanks, Jack. And let me say up front, I'm flattered uh, to be asked to participate in your podcast. I've listened to just about all of the podcasts, and you've had a, a very interesting group of participants. So, again, I'm flattered to be a part of your uh, program, and uh, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. Well, you're just another one of those interesting participants. Uh, well, you started, Danny, with Vulcan right out of uh, college at Georgia Tech as a management trainee, and it obviously worked well for both you and Vulcan. Tell us how that process worked coming in as a management trainee. Well, let me first start off by saying that I was extremely lucky to land uh, the position that I did um, my senior year at Tech, I uh, took greater than 50 hours so I could graduate while I had an athletic scholarship. Um, and when I graduated, my wife, I was married my senior year in college, my wife said, why don't you take off six or eight weeks before you start the interview process? And I said, you know what, that sounds good to me. So I did. And in September of 73, I took my resume to uh, a search slash placement firm in downtown Atlanta. And uh, with my newly minted resume, I was there for 10 minutes. And the search, search consultant said to me, I'm sorry, we don't have anything for you. I said, <laughs> I said that's terrible. He said, but hold on a minute, before you leave, he said, uh, we got a circular from this company called Vulcan Materials Company, and they're looking for a management trainee. And I said, well, hey, do me a favor. Well, first of all, tell me, you know, what business are they in? Uh, he said, Vulcan is a major quarrying and mining company, and uh, they're based in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, they produce aggregates, and that's all I know about Vulcan. I said, well, do me a favor and call them while I'm here at the office and see if they might give me an interview. And he did. And they asked me to come out that afternoon for an interview. So I went out, I met with the HR director, 
and the two senior managers in the organization. And in the second interview with, with one of the senior managers, um, I connected. Um, this senior manager was uh, a former college football player. He had been a center for the Texas Longhorns and we hit it off and uh, had a great interview. I went home that afternoon and at five o'clock that afternoon, they called me and offered me a job as a management trainee in Vulcan. So I was, I was very fortunate uh, to, to land that position and uh, still think about how lucky I was uh, on that particular day. That's a great story. How did they kind of, what kind of training did they put you through as a management trainee? I, uh, well, Jack, they put me through an 18 month program um, they ran me through every major department in the company. I, I worked for a period of time in the production department. I worked with sales and marketing. Uh, they put me in finance and accounting for a period of time, um, quality control for a period of time. It was a very, uh, a very good training program. And as I think back today, um, you know, what better way for um, a young person right out of college, what a better way to start a career than to go through with a top, go through a top quality training program. Well, you know, a lot of large companies <clears throat> claim that they have a management trainee program, but it's more, uh, more fluff. It sounds good, but there's not a lot of content to it. And it sounds like Vulcan was one that really invested heavily in in uh, that part of developing their future leaders. Um, did you, as, as you got into your career, uh, did you have any official or unofficial mentors that you worked with? And if so, how was that beneficial to you? Well, uh, it's interesting to me. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, uh, one of the senior managers in Vulcan that I connected with, who was a former college athlete, he took me under his wing. And oh, by the way, uh, this person um, was, a, was a former general in the Air Force. And, but he took me under his wing. Um, he, he monitored my progress uh, while I was reporting to him. He monitored my progress as I moved through Vulcan. He monitored my progress um, when I went to went in with the management group at Global Stone Court. He was so supportive, but at the same time, he was a no-nonsense, very well-organized individual. And I think that that some of those traits that that he demonstrated to me. Um, I adopted some of those. And, and so I think um, he provided me some guidance early on in my career, and he provided me guidance for many, many years uh, um, as I moved through different job assignments and, and, and moved to a different company. And, and I still, when I think about him today, I'm amused because he, he said something to me 
early on in my career, he, he always called me by my last name. He said, uh, Shepard, he said, uh, are you planning, organizing, implementing, controlling, and following up when it comes to the important matters that you're dealing with in business and in your life? And I could hardly have a conversation with him over the next 30 years where he didn't hit me with, with, with that, that same uh, uh, piece of advice and, and what have you. So uh, yes, he, I, I was very, very fortunate. He was my mentor in business and was such an important mentor for me uh, uh, in life matters. Uh, and you know, you know how important mentors are, Jack. You've been a mentor to many, many people in your career. And it always helps if an individual can have that person, or, or it can be more than one person, who's willing to give one constructive criticism, uh, praise, uh, advice, et cetera. So I've been a I've been a beneficiary of, uh, of a mentor for many, many years and, uh, and, and, and feel very lucky to have had such a person in my life. Well, thank you for sharing that because we, for our young listeners, you know, we really emphasize the importance of, of seeking out somebody that uh, you can work with just like you described. Well, you mentioned Global Stone Corp. Uh, you had an opportunity to be a part of a a management team that took that company to uh, become a publicly traded company, or as they say, took it public. Uh, can you share an overview of what it's, what's involved when you take a private company public? Well, first of all, let me say that it's, it's certainly not an easy process. And when, when Global Stone, when we took Global Stone public on the Toronto Stock Exchange, um, we had what we believed to be a solid investment thesis. We, we had a very solid business. We had acquired small independent industrial minerals companies. And, uh, and quite frankly, we believed that we knew how to run these businesses. And, and so on the strength of, of having a good business plan and a good strategy and a solid business, we set out to take this company public on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And some of the, some of the things that you have to deal with when you take a company public, you obviously have to have a first-class prospectus. That, that document that, that tells the world, hey, we, uh, we are we're a solid business uh we have a business that we can grow over time and if you will invest in us uh we believe that you'll be handsomely rewarded uh as we grow this company um you have to have solid banking relationships that's an obvious uh thing for me to say you need uh, a quality investment bank uh banker uh it doesn't have to be a Goldman, Goldman Sachs. It doesn't have to be a JP Morgan, but you have to have an investment bank that will help you uh, with your evaluations, help you um, 
as you tell your story to potential shareholders. Um, so you, it, it is a must that you have a quality group of investment bankers supporting you. You need a law firm, a law firm that's well-versed in securities law, uh, a law firm that understands all of the many public filings that you have to make before a Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, and I could go on and on and, and list several other things, but one thing that really helps when you take a company public, you need to have that one shareholder or maybe two shareholders uh, they're the more institutional like to help underwrite your uh, underwrite your company. Um, again, I could go on and list numbers of other things, but that's just a few of the things that you have to consider when you take your company public. Well, let's kind of stay with that public theme for a minute. Uh, Let's move to your role as a member of a board of directors of a publicly held company. I, I worked with both a private and a, a public company, but hadn't served on the board. But uh, I know from working in these two types of company, there's, a, there's definitely a, a difference. Some of our listeners may not really have a clear understanding of what the board of directors actually does and doesn't do in a public company. Can, can you kind of, in a concise way, explain that the role and responsibilities of a board in a public company? Well, let, let me state up front that boards do not run public companies. CEOs, COOs, and CFOs, they are charged with the responsibility of running a public company. That's stating the obvious. Uh, but it is the primary responsibility of, of a board of directors to make sure that the company has leadership in place uh, that's running the public company in the best interest of shareholders and, and following the rules required uh, of a leader of a public company. Directors, uh, Jack, absolutely should make every effort to understand uh, the basic businesses that the company uh, that they're on the board of directors of the businesses they're in. And to a certain extent, they need to understand what the overall strategy and long-term um, options are for the company. Now, obviously a board, <laughs> when I said it, the, said it in my initial remark about, about uh, board of directors and public companies, um, although the board is not running the company, the board needs to constantly push the company leadership for increased earnings and share growth and, and, and all of those things. But they need to do it in such a way where they're not, not meddling on a daily basis, uh, but they are, but directors are pushing uh, the senior executives and the management teams uh, to perform. Um, what's significantly different uh, in a public company as opposed to a private company, um, 
a board has several committees. Uh, and what's, what's somewhat typical in corporate America is that is that you'll have an audit committee of the board, you'll have a finance committee of the board, a comp committee, a government's com governance committee. And in many companies, you can even have uh, environmental health and safety uh, committees. Now, one would ask what, what's the responsibility of say, an audit committee? Well, obviously, an audit committee is responsible for making sure that the company is, is accounting for its business using generally accepted accounting practice uh, and practices that, um, that auditors like Deloitte and PricewaterhouseCoopers and any of the big uh, uh, auditing firms um, uh, would want you to follow. Uh, audit committees um, are really responsible for making sure that the quality of the of the PL statements, et cetera, in the company are correct. And um, you know, that's a mouthful because there's great complexity in corporate accounting, but the primary role of an, of an audit committee is, is to make sure that the company's being properly accounted for. Finance committee, it has to do with, you know, how the company um, is set up, uh, you, you know, what, what bonds are coming due, uh, how are we gonna uh, finance the company for future growth, um, you know, do we need share further share offerings to increase uh, uh, the size of the company, et cetera? Um, comp committee. Well, <laughs> when you mention the word comp, that speaks for itself. The comp committee is responsible for making sure that the executives of the company. Um, are properly compensated. And when I say properly compensated, I mean fairly compensated. Fair uh, in the eyes of the shareholders, fair in the, uh, in the eyes of uh, share analysts. Um, and so the top committee plays a very important role. And obviously in today's world, um, a lot of companies put their compensation programs up for a vote by shareholders and it's called sale pay. And shareholders can vote up or down uh, compensation packages for executives and directors of, uh, of a public company. Uh, I'll stop there and see if you have any questions about what I've said so far. Um, no, I think uh, I think you've made that pretty clear. Let me ask you, how often do the board of directors as a group meet? And then I'm assuming that the committees meet separately. How does that work? Well, uh, typically uh, a public company board will meet uh, four times a year or quarterly. 
obviously there are situations where there have to be emergency board meetings called. As an example, when the pandemic hit, um, uh, the boards that I am on, we met uh, bi-weekly uh, because things were changing so rapidly as a result of, of all of the things that were going on during the pandemic that we just felt like we had to, the board had to stay very closely in touch with management to make sure that uh, quite frankly, we could weather the unknown. And so, you know, boards meet uh, as needed uh, telephonically. Uh, if there's a, an acquisition uh, to be considered um, between the quarterly board meetings, you know, obviously boards take care of that business. Um, but um, typically four times a year and as needed telephonically. Uh, obviously, uh, committees meet in between the uh, quarterly board meetings often. Uh, I'm chair of the audit committee of Beezer as an example, and we meet um, about three quarters of the way through the quarter um, as we get the company prepared for earnings releases at the end of the quarter. Um, our comp committee would meet uh, three times a year in Beezer. And I don't think uh, we're unlike many other public companies. Uh, if there are issues uh, that require attention from committees, obviously we can call, we call, uh, you know, unannounced meetings. So it's, uh, that's the way I'd answer your question. Danny, thank you. Uh, at, I know a lot of our folks, uh, particularly some of our younger listeners, may not have a uh, have not been exposed to publicly held companies and how they operate, and kind of they may be somewhat of a mystery. And I appreciate you uh, breaking that down in simple terms where everybody can uh, can understand and, and the value that a board plays and the responsibilities of uh, those board members. Um, listen, thanks for Danny. For thanks for for sharing both your, your business experiences as well as educating us on the role of a board of directors uh, in a publicly held company. It was uh, great having you with us today and it's always fun spending time with you. Well, Jack, thanks for inviting me to participate. Again, I'm flattered. Um, I think uh, your podcast program is an excellent program and I hope you're your listening base continues to grow. Well, as we close another podcast, I want to once again encourage each of you to make it uh, your goal this week to be a positive influence in the lives of others. And I look forward to having you back with us next week. Hey, before you go, we wanted to let you know about Jack's book called The Question, a guide to answering life's most important question. In this book, Jack shares his personal journey that began in 1993 to determine the values, principles, and beliefs that would guide his life. 
Whether you are a spouse, parent, grandparent, friend, leader, educator, coach, or mentor, Jack's I Believe statements apply to all the roles he has played during his lifetime and can do the same for you. Jack's message applies to all people, ages, and careers. It's an easy read with compelling stories, enjoyable humor, and sincere transparency. The question is now available in ebook and paperback exclusively on Amazon. Go to jackwwilliams.com slash the question to learn more and buy your copy today. Again, thanks for joining us for this episode and join us next week for an all new episode of Knowledge Cast by Ideals.